Thank you, team, for the opening messages in song this morning. Thank you for giving us a good start in our time together. Uh, we are embarking on a, a study of, of the letter to Timothy, the first one, and uh, my uh, privilege this morning to be part of the introduction to that letter. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, either on the giving or the receiving end. Uh, someone's going off to somewhere else. <laughs> you know, this particular, you can imagine somebody's going to college here and, and there's, there's a departure. And then uh, what is being exchanged at that departure time? And, and then what goes on? You know, have you had that experience where you sent somebody off and did you leave a note or written instructions or written, uh, written wisdom for them? Or, or were you on the receiving end of such a, a bit of instruction or something like that? Um, I think, you know, what would you say? Uh, you know, study hard, live well, keep in touch, stay out of trouble, you know, like those sort of things. And, uh, and, and, you, and you do these sort of Things because you kind of wish you were there with them, right? Helping them along, you know, like, are they going to be all right? Are they going to find their classroom? <laughs> are they going to be able to eat well? Are they going to sleep well? Are they going to have friends? Are they going to have problems? And you, you kind of wish, you know, helicopter, like, you know, be right there with them, right? But you got to send them on their way. So I think our Apostle Paul was feeling a little bit like that as he had sent off his apprentice Timothy to to work in another city. Kind of wishing he was there, but knowing he can't. So he's going to write him some stuff that will help him to, uh, to work there. So we're going to look at this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And uh, it's kind of like opening someone else's mail, isn't it? Like, you know, hey... Let's read this mail. You don't usually do that, but in the providence of God, these letters have been preserved and shared, and we have them so that we can learn from them as well and sort of understand a little bit of Paul's heart, Timothy's position, God's overall plan and purpose. An example of, uh, of this I found uh, was a letter written by Charles Spurgeon, to a missionary leaving from his church in England. So he was an English speaker, preacher and lived in the 19th century. And he wrote uh, this letter to, to a guy named Patrick. I'll just read it for you. Oops, I didn't get words. There we go. Dear Mr. Patrick, I guess he was Mr. Patrick. I don't know his first name was Patrick or not. Anyway, I rejoice at the ways, you, at the ways cleared for you going to North Africa as a brother looking to our own funds for support, you are the first representative of the foreign mission of the college, and I am more, and and I am the more earnest that you should lead the way gloriously. I am sure from your personal character and from your course in college that I might place unlimited confidence in you, and far more is my confidence in the Lord, whom you and I are unitedly serve with all our with our whole hearts. He will help you to play the man. A blend of zeal, patience, and wisdom will be needed in the mission so new, dealing with such a peculiar people. 
you believe that the gospel will meet the need of any creature in the form of man, whether Jew, Gentile, Mohammedan, or heathen, you will keep holy and only to the cross. There hangs our hope, as well as the hope of those to whom we go. Hammer away with the old gospel and let those who like it use the miserable wooden mallet of mere reason. The Lord be with you. Take special care to be much with Him. Without the means of grace, in the lone land, as you will probably be ere long, give attention to reading the one and only book and be often carried away to heaven on the wings of prayer and meditation. Write us often that you may keep up the interest of the brethren and of my constituency in the glorious work. Be of good courage while you are dumb and the language of the people while you are dumb and the language of the people and feel and feel the fire burning within the power to let its heat warm the people. Carry your daily worries to your master that they will not be worries. Aspire to be another Patrick, the apostle of North Africa, as he was of Ireland. On your head may the Holy Spirit pour the pour of the anointing oil and may you often be constrained to sing as I do. O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. God himself bless you. Yours in Christ Jesus, C.H. Spurgeon. I think you can see the parallels here with what uh, Paul was writing to Timothy, right? You can see in Spurgeon's wonderful prose here that he puts in some stuff that is important for these young people, younger people going off into places to hear. Um, we learn, we can learn a lot from such a letter, you know, like what's important, the character traits that are important for missionary work, the the importance of the ministry, the power of the gospel, the need to develop our relationship with the Lord even though we're in a different place, and the need for prayer above all. These are, these are not uh, unique to this letter and you can see them in Timothy's letter from Paul as well. So we're going to open Timothy's mail with the hope of gaining some understanding of our situation and what we need to be doing as well that these things that Spurgeon wrote to Patrick, that Paul wrote to Timothy, they are kind of important things for all of us to hear and learn. But before we look at the Timothy, just a little bit of the geography of what's going on here and a bit of the background, perhaps. So, Paul's here in Macedonia now. And he's left Timothy here in Ephesus and he has some words for Timothy because he's over here. He has another helper. We could go on to read the book of Titus and he writes a similar letter to that guy who's in Crete as well. So Paul's got these workers that are kind of getting spread out, but he's keeping in touch. Uh, Now there is a bit of a controversy that we could just mention uh, about the authorship of this letter, we've been talking about Paul and Timothy, but many scholars, especially starting in the 19th century and following, have thought that they could find uh, reasons to say that this wasn't originally Paul's writing, that this was somebody else writing later, maybe in the style or maybe in the sort of the, the way that Paul thought and uh, written 
to address another problem maybe a century later. And there were there are reasons stated why they can go on why this is so and you could read about them and you can look them up. There there I'm not planning to spend a lot of time on that, but to say that some of these reasons are that there's notable notable differences between these letters, the pastoral letters of Timothy and Titus, than the other letters of Paul. But it's a different time, a different reason for writing, so that's not so much of a big hindrance. Uh, some people say, well, the, the, what Paul's writing about is a heresy that's more developed than it was at the time. But we can see that it actually was starting to develop even in the time of Paul and Timothy. And it didn't have to wait a century to, to um, write about that. There are others that mention that the church seems to be more organized or there's details about the organization of the church which weren't happening at that time in the first century. But we know from the book of Acts that these sort of details were being mentioned. Uh, Elders were being appointed and other things were being done to look after widows and things like that. So the church was organizing at this time and uh, it's not a real hindrance or stretch to see that Paul could write about that to Timothy. And then there's uh, one of the maybe more Bigger, bigger hindrances or problems in seeing Paul's writing is that this really doesn't fit with the book of Acts. Uh, there's no mention of Paul leaving Timothy and Ephesus. There's no mention of Paul leaving Titus and Crete. And you think, well, that doesn't fit with the book of Acts. Because in Acts, Timothy was in Ephesus, but they left with Paul or left before Paul. So one would postulate, though, that that uh, Paul is writing this after the book of Acts is concluded, that he was imprisoned and then he was released. He went on another journey and took time to go visit some of these places again, left Timothy and Ephesus, left Titus and Crete, and went on to further, uh, be further afield yet. And then later Paul was re-imprisoned and, and sometime later executed. So these letters we believe, are written after the book of Acts has been completed. Luke has finished writing that. Um, But the work goes on and Paul's still active in in his ministry. So I think all of these reasons, it's a controversy. I don't think we need to get wrapped up in it. It certainly makes sense to me and reads well like a a letter of Paul to Timothy. And I don't have any uh, problems thinking that way. And... um, I think discussion is good among these scholars, but uh, for our purposes, we'll take it as written Paul to Timothy, which is stated right in the beginning. We think that Paul is writing this letter from Macedonia to Timothy in about the year 62 AD. So in that sort of range, um, his earlier journeys were in the 50s, and now we're in the 60s. Paul likely lost his life around 67 AD. So, you know, in that time, so we're, we're in that era. What was Paul's purpose to write this letter? We've, we've talked about it a little bit. He's got this apprentice that's off in another place, and he's a little bit concerned about all the things that he's facing, so he's writing this letter. 
There are um, many who would look to chapter 3 where, where Paul states a specific purpose for writing this letter, which is that uh, people would know how to conduct themselves in the household of God. And that's in chapter 3, verse 15. And I, I think that that's certainly one of the things that he's dealing with. But I think there's maybe a, a more broader purpose revealed earlier in the book, and I'm going to just touch on that in just a moment. So I think there are some sub-purposes, sub-points to his main purpose, which sort of go along with his main purpose. Let's read the first five verses of First Timothy chapter 1, and maybe we can see some of these purposes. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of, our, of God our Savior and Christ Jesus who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart and a, a clear conscience and genuine faith. I'm going to look at that last verse that we read, verse 5, and suggest that that is perhaps the purpose, the broad purpose for the writing of this letter. I read it in one tr- uh, translation. This is a different one. The goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? Like, what is it? What is Paul, what do you mean the goal of our command is love or the the goal of our instruction or the reason I'm writing is love? Okay, that sounds good, but what does that mean, Paul? What are you saying? Timothy is scratching his head at this point. What's he saying? It's a little bit ambiguous, and the, the version I read, the New Living Translation, tries to help us by suggesting that it's, it's to fill all the believers with love. Um, but that's sort of added in to help us understand it, maybe. And maybe, maybe we're left to, to wrestle a bit with the ambiguity of this statement. Like, what, what does it mean to be, uh, to the, the command is love? What does that mean? Does that mean this is a personal goal he has for Timothy? Is it, is it something that he wants Timothy to ex- exhibit love or to love God? Or is it a goal for the people he's working with? Is, is he wants the people to be more loving? Does he want to develop their love for others, for God himself? Or maybe it's all of those things and others that we haven't even thought of there. Maybe Paul is being ambiguous intentionally, and all of these aspects are in somewhat of in, in view. Now, Jesus spoke about love a lot, and when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he would says that you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's an echo of the early great saying in which we studied in our Bible study the other night, the Shema, where, you know, God is one and you shall love the Lord your God. And Jesus says, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So 
the goal of our command is love. So is Paul getting at this is what he's asking Timothy and the church that he's working with to follow that, that command of Jesus. Paul had written an earlier letter to the church in Corinth where he taught about love as being the ingredient needed to accomplish anything in ministry. And without love, every effort that we make is just going to fall flat. Paul says it's without love, people, people are just like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. They just make irritating noise. And, uh, and without love, no matter what you do, Timothy, you know, it's not going to... It's not going to go anywhere. So it's really important that the goal that we seek is love. How that plays out, Paul's going to illustrate it with a bunch of other uh, suggestions throughout the, throughout the letter. It's interesting that, that he wrote the letter to Corinthians about love, but these people that Timothy sent to deal with are often talked about having endless and foolish discussions. They're like a noisy irritating noise as well. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, these people need love as well. They're not where they should be. So that it's important that both in relationship to God and in relationship to the people, the, the reason, the goal is love. From a pure heart, a clear conscience and genuine faith. And, and that itself, what does that mean? Until you think of what What's the opposite of love? The opposite of love is sort of selfishness or self-centeredness, right? It's me, not you. And then you think of the heart of the selfish person. It's impure, greedy. The conscience, it's seared. You can, you can lie, you can do other things. It doesn't, it doesn't bother you. And your faith is hypocritical. It's not genuine. It's a fake. And so you can see that, that love comes from these things, whereas the opposite of love comes from these other uh, conditions. So Paul is giving guidance to encourage a ministry that is characterized by this godly love. All the instructions for Timothy in the letter are dependent on the premise that they flow from and for love. So all of the rest of this we look at, um, this is the broad I'm calling this the broad uh, purpose of writing. And he has a lot of other purposes that he wants to, to uh, tell Timothy. But right off the bat, what's, what's the problem here? What's the main problem facing Timothy? And we've already, even before we got to that main purpose, we read some of this. Uh, so Timothy's been giving a goal, but what, what are the obstacles to, to reaching that goal? I put a soccer illustration up there because, <clears throat> excuse me, because I used to play when I was in high school and, I, and uh, we had fun. I don't think we were all that good at it, but we had a lot of fun uh, playing soccer in the high school. We even did well one year. But the coach often would tell us, take your shot, take your shot, <laughs> take your shot, don't. Oh, you didn't take your shot. <laughs> you know, what did you do? You, you dazzled us with your ball handling, you know, like, and then somebody took it away from you. Or you tried to pass it when you had a good shot already, but... You messed up the pass and the guy didn't get it. You know, just, you're never going to score unless you shoot at the net, right? So, take a shot. I think we weren't that good at passing and ball handling. That's why he told us just to take our shot. I played defense, so I didn't, I didn't get down there to shoot very much anyway. But, uh, so if you have a shot, take it. Timothy, give it your best shot, okay? Uh, that's what uh, Paul is kind of saying here. Of course, the, 
there is a problem when you're playing any sport. There's the other team, right? It's kind of annoying. Like they get in the way of getting the goal and getting the goal. It's what the, they're there for, really. They were trying to stop you. But that would be that's you expect that in 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 sports. But what if the members that were supposed to be on your own team were the ones getting in your way? What if they were stealing the ball and shooting it the other way? You know, like, wait, you're on my side. What do you mean take it? And, you know, every once in a while you score on your own net, right? Now, these what these guys were doing. They, they should be on our side, but they are, are playing against us. So they have sort of a different goal. I don't know what their goal is, but it's not to win the game. They're missing the whole point. And to get, they're missing that point of reaching that goal. If they're actively opposing you, they're playing for the other side, really. And, and we read a bit about them already in that first uh, few verses. That these, these are, I think, Paul's main concern for Timothy are these people that are playing for the other team, that are in the way, that are opposing him reaching the goal. Let's go on. Uh, we read these first uh, verse 3 and 4 before. Because it, and it says that I urge you to stay in there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching. It's contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. And then Paul gives us the goal. And then he says, but some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions they want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they are talking about, even though they speak so confidently. These people are lacking love. Their efforts are not to bring love to people. They're working for a different goal. They're working for themselves. They're selfish. They have other motives. Their, their hearts aren't pure. Their conscience isn't clear. And their faith is not genuine. The main task assigned to Timothy, I think, by Paul, because he starts right out with us, is to silence those who are teaching this to this uh, way, this contrary to the truth. They are missing the goal. They're going the wrong way. They're wasting their time. They want to be known as Bible teachers, but they misuse the Bible. They miss the point of its message. They misapply it. They don't even understand it. And they're very legalistic rather than, than loving. It may surprise you to, come to find out that some Bible teachers are not, as they seem to say should be, working for that goal of love. There are people who have been mistaken and who are in the wrong, going the wrong direction, even though they're saying they're teaching the Bible and using it. The law has a purpose but it doesn't produce life. It's used to reveal the gross corruption of the human condition. It's not a guide for those who are living a life of love and devotion for God and their fellow humans. Here's what Paul says about the purpose for the law in the next few verses, in the verses 8 to 11. But we know that the law is good if a man uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, 
for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul is deliberately picking out extreme examples of behavior that is opposite to the goal of love. He's not used, law here isn't used to define Christian behavior. That is the role of love, not of law. Christian behavior is defined by our love for one another. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Our love for God, our love for the Lord, our love for one another. The law is good at defining wrong behavior, but it has no power to change people. Paul has written on this subject in more detail in in his letter to the church in Rome. And I suggest that if you're interested in finding more, you could take chapter 7 of Romans and read these verses and then those verses and then these verses and then those verses and compare them. And it may help us understand both chapters. We won't take the time to do that, but it's an exercise which I could recommend. These people that Timothy was to confront were representatives of an early form of the heresy of Gnosticism. It's a big word that uh, you hear about, talked about in the early church problem. It mixed uh, legalism of Judaism with Eastern mysticism and Greek philosophy and came up with these ideas that are very strange to us now, but they got a good hold and they were starting to take hold in Ephesus. Here we see an early form which was heavily um, leaning toward the legalistic teaching of Judaism. And it was that that Paul was writing to Timothy about. Paul comes back often to these people through his letter to Timothy. In this short little letter, it's, it's mentioned. these people are mentioned a number of times. It's obvious that Paul is deeply concerned about the, these people and their effects on the church. And it's, obvious, it's also obvious that he sees the need to emphasize the danger of these people to the church. I kind of think that, that Paul may be a little bit more than concerned that Timothy won't be able to stand up to them. That, you know, like, like you're gone off to to this place and I'm not with you and you've got this really big problem to deal with. I sure wish I was there to help you. So I'm going to write you this letter and let you know that there's a problem and this is a big one and you need to tackle it. Paul was known for his prayer. I think we see that in his writings. He prays often for the church and I bet he was on his knees a lot for Timothy at this point in his life. That He was praying for Timothy for these people. The other mentions of these people, some of them are in chapter 4, verse 1 to 7, where Paul calls them hypocrites and liars. In chapter 6 and 2 to 5, they're arrogant, they quibble over words, they're argumentative, they're corrupt, they are there to make money. In the end of the last few verses of the chapter, he's back at it again, chapter 6, verse 20. They're they're talked about foolish discussions and their so-called knowledge, which is a kind of an, an... the word Gnosticism is right in there. So, here they are. Uh, this is what 
Timothy has to deal with. Let's look at maybe, uh, I'll just read chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, just to give you a, a bit more of a caricature of what these these people were like and how you might recognize them. If you have your Bible, I don't have it up on the screen, but chapter 6, verses 3. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs to the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. It's pretty harsh words for somebody. These are are supposed to be on our team, right? These are guys that were trying to be part of the church, teaching the Bible of all things, teaching the, the law, the Torah. So you can see the contrast. Paul says this is good teaching. It's wholesome. It promotes a godly life, devotion, piety, love, which we say. That would be the the good teaching. These different teaching is arrogant, lacks understanding, quibbles over the meanings, is argumentative, results in jealousy, division, slander, and suspicion. They're, They're known as troublemakers, corrupt thinking, unwilling to look at the truth, and monetarily motivated. Oh, just a warning for us, I think, just to remind us that if ever our teaching starts to have some of this effect, you know, jealousy, division, slander, then something's wrong and we need to correct that if that's what's happening with our teaching. Wholesome teaching doesn't do that. It leads to, to devotion and piety and to love. So just a a warning for, and if you're following someone and their teaching seems to be doing this, maybe there needs to be a correction in their lives as well. So just for all of us who who teach, it's a a pretty sober warning and reminder. So just to conclude, what are some of the, the instructions that will promote love in the church and Paul goes through a number of them. And the importance of prayer, appointment of qualified leaders, training in godliness, focusing on the scriptures, respectful relationships, care of the needy, treatment of the leaders, advice for the wealthy, and probably others that I have missed there. But So we'll get those as we go through the chapters ahead in the next few weeks. Often in the in the letter, Paul just seems to stop at times and just blurt out something that's tremendously uplifting about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think one of the, one of the ones that we know most, uh, most well is there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. And Paul continually brings back Jesus to the picture to, to remind us to focus on him and to uh, uh, keep our ministry, Paul's ministry, or Timothy's ministry, focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can find a few other of these great sayings that are in the book. But one of the ones that I like, you know, that, uh, that, that Paul says is fight the good fight for the true faith. 
hold tightly to the eternal life which God has called you. And that eternal life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So we, Timothy, hold tight to Jesus. Dear Lord, I just pray that you help us all apply today what we've learned and always and that we go out and be your people and not just your people who uh, fumble around and uh, but Lord the people that you say look down on and say uh, well done my good and faithful servants and Lord I just pray that we have a great effect on our community as a result Amen Have a great week everyone